Welcome back to Kyrgyzstan Part 2. Today's episode, you can learn how Coca Polo leads to a very good meal, how Kyrgyzstan developed a strong coffee culture, and how do you Instagram for the most beautiful alpine lake on earth? In our earlier episode, we focused on the logistics of getting to Kyrgyzstan and outlined a personal one week trip. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do so before the episode. Thankfully, after our earlier episode, my in-laws understand that I no longer have it out for them. We just enjoy exploring a few places off the beaten path. Today's guest is J.W. Stamp. J.W. is a fellow graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. After retiring from the United States Air Force, J.W. founded an adventure travel company called Taigon Expeditions that organizes personalized itineraries for adventure travel to Kyrgyzstan. Jumping right back into the conversation, let's talk about the Kyrgyz environment and what families can expect as they navigate this exciting destination. My experience of Kyrgyz culture, especially out in the mountains, and I kind of like it, is it tends to be not quite so go obsessively driven by the internet and clocks and everything else. I kind of like living like that myself a little bit more when I get the chance. I understand this is the world we live in, but I think there's something to be said for, uh, shall we say, a different pace of life. Absolutely. Great. Karen, did you, do you want to ask a question? I have two questions I'd like to ask. One is, do many of the people there speak English or should we brush up on the language before we get there? The answer is in the city, quite a few. Not as much as you would find, for example, in a Western European city, but still quite a few, depending on where you're at. Once you get out of the city, not so much. Now that said, brushing up on Russian or Kyrgyz, right, right. it does take a certain amount of time to invest in the languages. So I would suggest what you're probably better off doing is finding reliable guides and letting them do the translating. You know, and I guess the theory is if you trust them enough to pay them for their services, then hopefully you trust them enough to translate correctly. That is the simpler solution. Obviously, I'm all about if you have the time and while you're on the way, trying to learn some of the local language, I'm absolutely in favor of that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not familiar with some of the very different, Kyrgyz is a Turkic language, very different grammar structures. And Russian is also very different from English or you know, even French or German, for example. And so it can be a bit challenging. Is that a good way to put it? <laughs> yeah, I was, now, I was just wondering, because you were saying that you will make friends. For me, there has to be, a, there's going to be a language barrier there of some sort on this trip. There will be, and, but again, that's where I or whoever you your guide is comes in and we go back and forth. I've had friends who've had to do that for me. Before I really picked up a bunch of Russian, I was down in, in Tajikistan with some friends and I was meeting a friend there who spoke only Russian and I didn't have any, but he brought along a friend of his who spoke Uzbek, which is close enough to Kyrgyz to where it's the 75, 80% solution. So my friend would speak to his friend who became my friend too in Russian and he translated to Uzbek. And then I could reply in Kyrgyz, and then he translate back into Russian. <laughs> and oh yeah, so we always had these three-way conversations. That's good for a laugh, yeah, and everybody yeah. had a good time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my Russian got a lot better during the course of that trip. But yeah. sometimes that's just what you got to do. Okay, is it Bishkek? Bishkek is capital. Are there cafes and bakeries there? Because that's real important to him. <laughs> yes, there are. Now, a few 
years ago, maybe a decade or so ago, this was considered, uh, I was told, this was tea country. And once you're outside of the capital, although it is catching on in other places, once you're outside of the capital, it's black tea all the time, the morning, noon, and night. But if you like coffee, you can get your double latte, caramel, macchiato, all the above, as much and as often as you want in Bishkek now. There's a gentleman opened up and, and his wife opened up a coffee shop, oh, seven, eight years ago now, mm-hmm. actually closer to 10 now. And initially I, I was told that he was greeted with a certain amount of derision. This is tea country. Coffee is one of those things that can makes its own market. And now there's not just his restaurants, but all over town, there's all kinds of coffee stands. And I don't think I've seen any of them go out of business yet. And I think there's others popping up in other parts of the country as well. So coffee, absolutely. Bakeries, yes, I think we can do that as well. Remember, this used to be part of first Imperial Russia and then the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And I have been told that a big part of Russian culture is bread. And so bread, by definition, implies bakeries. And so there are quite a few of those around. And one of the I wrote Tom last night a little bit about Kyrgyz cuisine, and that's something they have definitely taken from the Russians if they didn't have it before, which being nomadic, they may not have, but now bread is a part of every meal I've seen there. It's what they call a tandoori bread, if you've heard of that. Yeah. Okay, so picture an oven that looks like a beehive, and you open it from the top. And then what you do is you take a, basically a ball of bread dough, and they've got this thing that looks like a giant, kind of reminds me of a ping pong paddle. And you use that to stick the bread to the inside of the oven. And that's how it bakes. So it comes out round, flat in the center. And it's really good. So, you know, almost too much so. Because then they, uh, this, uh, Kyrgyzstan has won awards, international awards for its honey production. So you take this tandoori bread and you mix it with honey or some of the local preserves. And it's really good. Maybe a little more so than it should be for my waistline. But that's a separate complaint. Okay. I'm more open-minded about this. Getting excited about going to Kyrgyzstan, right? Yeah, it's it's a little bit more feasible to me. I I come from the generation that you don't go to any country with the last part of Stan in it. So you've taken a lot of the fears away that I I was going through. So thank you for that. Oh, more than happy to do it. And again, I think I may say safely say for every one of our guests i think more often than not the experience now i this is my phrasing not theirs how come nobody told me about this before right it it, it is a wonderful place to visit in so many ways it really is so jw we started speaking a little bit to kyrgyz cuisine do you want to maybe speak to what kyrgyz cuisine could include happy to do so kyrgyz cuisine tends to be this is something I, i i alluded to it earlier Generally speaking, generally speaking, okay, dad jokes aside. Yes, and my children remind me, Jeff, JW, gets, they don't come in. They say dad gets new material. My train of thought was derailed. So Kyrgyz cuisine, it tends to be, it tends to be meat heavy. It does. Because again, their culture has been for centuries nomadic herders, which means you eat what's on the hoof, which means mutton to a lesser extent, beef, a lot of mutton and beef and goat. We just got to keep that a secret from our daughter. She likes me. Uh, we yeah. just can't tell her what it is. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Now, <laughs> yeah. I will get to that. We can make accommodations for folks who have different opinions on the subject, shall we say. But generally, it tends to be very meat-heavy. So if you're a carnivore, welcome to paradise. There is bread. They tend to do a lot of root crops because they store well during the winter. Refrigeration can be problematic, certainly in the high country and 
every village I've ever been in there had electricity, but that doesn't imply that everyone has a refrigerator or a freezer. So root crops, something you can root cellar, potatoes, carrots, onions, that tends to be a big part of it. I mentioned bread, honey, preserved jams, or, or whatever vegetables you could can from the summer. A lot of home canning goes on here. There's a big season for it uh, beginning in about, oh, September-ish. September, October, folks do a lot of home canning, which actually, if you're like me and you like home cooking, so to speak, wherever you're at, then again, have we got a deal for you? Because I mentioned the home style meals. So pretty much whatever, whether you're in a guest house, a shepherd's camp, whatever you're eating, probably, and it's usually the mom of the family, she canned that. So whether it's the jams or whether it's, now she may have got the honey from a friend or from a village up the road, but a lot of all that she's going to make. If there's a tomato sauce or a vegetable sauce or something like that, I we taken guesses as to where who, who canned the stuff. So you like home cooking? That's what you're going to get. And I think it's great. I've been, I consider myself to have been blessed with a number of the folks we stay at. There's some good cooks there. I just gotta, gotta be careful not to overdo it. I tell folks, how shall I put it? Be hungry when you show up because there ain't no such thing as small food on a Kyrgyz table, whether or not you expected it, whether or not you wanted it even. That's part of their hospitality. They will not send you away hungry. That's a big no-no in Kyrgyz culture. So be prepared to bring your appetite. I remember one time I was with a couple of guests at the yurt making village with our, with our friends there. And the young lady, and you have to understand Kyrgyz culture, it's not like the West. It's very, I don't want to say age centric, so to speak, but the elder gets listened to first and junior waits until everyone else is talking. And then he puts in his two cents, maybe. So normally if you're 20 plus years older than whoever it is you're talking to, they're not going to talk back to you. This was the exception that might prove the rule, so to speak, because our hostess, young lady, I guess she's in her early thirties by now. You're getting old when someone in their early thirties is called a young lady. She brought out dinner for myself and my clients and dinner. You see where this is going? Oh yeah. There was no shortage there. I couldn't get through half of what was on my plate. And she lit into me. She's teasing. We're old friends, but oh, she get, you don't like my cooking anymore. I'm going to tell your wife. And she's true. She's good friends with my wife. Like she, she did actually. She called my <laughs> wife and said, what's wrong with my, there's nothing wrong with your cooking. That's the problem. I got to lighten up. But one of these days, the horse is going to turn to me and say, hey, ugly American, get off. Which I suppose would be entertaining for my clients, but embarrassing at the same time. So yeah, be hungry when you arrive. They don't do small portions, which it's good to know. Again, has its own appeal. <laughs> Absolutely. When you're out there in the high alpine valleys, in the villages, can you describe an evening in Kyrgyzstan or what would be a typical evening after dinner, how you enjoy the evening in Kyrgyzstan? We try to leave that fairly open for our guests. Frequently, it's time around the dinner table. And it is a table. They will set up inside a yurt. Now, the table is only six inches off the ground, so you're reclining on the yurt's floor around this table. So it may be slightly reminiscent, for example, of ancient Rome, right? You're just you're reclining at a short table, or you can go out and walk around the lake. It depends on where you're at the moment. But generally speaking, we try to leave that free and we try to leave that for conversation, conversations with the guests. And sometimes it's myself and, you know, what's a bald American doing in a place like this? Or it's what can be with our host family. In which case, again, I do the, the translation, the volley back and forth type thing. It depends on what folks want to do, but it tends to be a lot of conversation. Now, maybe, hopefully without going into stereotypes, our younger folks may, may not find that super interesting. But again, in the, in the great outdoors, 
you can run around to your heart's content and there's going to be plenty of stuff to see and really not too much nobody's going to complain about you making noise i'll put it that way at least i don't think so so it varies so if the shall we say more senior folks again want to just enjoy a conversation for a little while certainly we can do that or you can go maybe like for a short hike after supper go fishing good time of day depending on again the time of year you can go fishing for a little bit if you wanted to there's any number of, of things you could do i think most folks especially if it's on a horse trek after if they're not used to it after even broken up into chunks after several hours in the saddle uh, a lot of folks are okay with sitting still, e even the younger folks might be. But again, it varies. But we do try to keep that open as much as we can. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that it sounds like it's good quality family time, like going back to what you saw for the day, talking about your experiences. And and as a family, I think that's why we go and do these trips with our my parents and my young kids so that we can have that quality family time. I think that's very important in a vacation to have. I couldn't agree more, and I would have said that before I started this business. And you're not alone in that. In fact, I have guided other tours, several tours now, and they were not just multi-generational, but one instance where a young lady and her boyfriend and her parents all went along. And for the most part, they had a pretty good time. Now, at one point, there was some, it had nothing to do with the trip, at least not that I could tell, or, or my services, that's what they told me, but there were some uh, personal things they had to work out between the four of them. <laughs> and it involved, so I, I got a chance to play peacemaker, so to speak. But that's part of the what you do as a guide. You're working with people. And another case, I had a young couple that had just gotten married, and this was their honeymoon, and they brought along his parents and her parents. Because the parents, hang on, the parents had never, I, 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 yeah, I, I see your face, you're like, I think they took another part of the honeymoon later, but this was going to be the only chance that the parents would have to meet each other. And so sense. they did exactly what you're describing. As far as I can tell, they had a great time to get a chance to meet each other, hang out, spend some time together. And it worked out, as far as I can tell, very well. Makes so it, the, the theory works. We have tested it in terms of the multi-generational thing. And I, again, I couldn't agree with you anymore if, if I tried. So I'll I'm ask, a huge believer. Go ahead. I'll ask a question for one of my daughters, and that is, well, Shoot. We go on this expedition, we go to a high alpine lake, one of the most beautiful places in the world. The question they'll ask is... I think so. The question they'll ask me is, can I post this picture on Instagram? So in terms of internet connectivity, I, I presume you... Oh, can you post it on Instagram? I presume so. Can you post it at the moment? No, no, maybe. I liked your answer at no, because that means I can get my husband for the 10 days or nine days that we're in Kyrgyzstan without work. Okay, well then maybe I should stop talking. <laughs> for the most part, once once you leave the roads or the the villages, yeah, internet, Wi-Fi, whatever, can be iffy. It can be very iffy or just flat non-existent. And depending on how far you want to go back up into the high country, yeah, it ain't happening. But if you're willing to take some pictures, store them, be patient, wait till you get back to town, so to speak, oh, yeah, you can post all day long. Sounds good. The yeah, it's funny how folks can really get used to that. Being away from it for a while, how shall I put it, doesn't bother me that much. I miss being when I can't talk to my wife and kids. That that part, I'll admit. So I'm glad on those occasions when they can come with me. But otherwise, I believe the expression is blessed silence. I, I know that might be hard for some folks, but it can have its value. It can have its value. Absolutely. Uh, as I believe you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. 
Hey, real quick, let me come back to something before I forget it, because I, I can, I, I don't want to say I'm that easily distracted, but hey, squirrel, but on the subject of accommodating dietary yeah, concerns, shall we say, we can, and have done so. In fact, I mentioned a couple, a few moments ago that they brought along her parents. He was vegetarian. Ooh. And if I know in advance, it's actually fairly easy to accommodate. I just, most of the time. But I would need to know in advance because that's not, it's not like a lot of restaurants are in the West now where there's going to be always a vegetarian option. I would need to let folks know in advance, for example, or if there was an allergy. I, again, I think so far, I, I don't know if I've had to deal around any specifically like life-threatening allergies or anything, but I, I think most things can be accommodated or work around whatever. And usually, again, this is a very hospitable culture. People aren't going to kick up a fuss or anything, but it sure helps if we know in advance because it, it, advanced planning solves a lot of other potential problems. And I think people that have food allergies do try to make this an advanced planning situation. They express their allergies so that it doesn't affect them. Yeah, that would be that would make a safety decision. That makes sense. So yeah, that would be the one one caveat I would throw out there on on the food thing is uh, just let me know in advance. And hey, yeah, if I can't do it, I'll let you know. Okay, I'll bring my jar of peanut butter so, for my youngest picky eater. <laughs> So I think some of the questions we always try to ask are the, the do's and donuts or, or do's and don'ts. Do you have three things you'd recommend or three things you would encourage people to consider about Kyrgyzstan and three things you would say do not do or caution against? At least two, one of each kind of come to mind right away, Tom. Thanks for asking. One is in the do, I would say do consider traveling certainly to Kyrgyzstan and other parts of Central Asia as well. It's easy your mother-in-law, Karen, mentioned that it's easy to be afraid, mm -hmm. especially if it's not a place that we're familiar with. That's a normal human response. I get it. And when you see, you know, because let's face it, bad news sells, right? No, nobody makes money for advertising off of, off of selling good news. So it's easy when you see bad news in, shall we say, another part of the world that might end in a stand. It's easy to say, ah, boo -boo, and freak out. And one thing that we forget, at least in North America, and I think some of our European uh, guests may, may run into this too, it's easy to forget how big Asia is. So when I tell you that it is farther from uh, Bishkek to Pakistan than it is from New York to Miami, then suddenly folks start to get a frame of reference for the distances involved in this part of the world. And that if something, God forbid, something bad happens, let's say in Afghanistan or Pakistan, God forbid, that's still a long ways away. And so to put it into perspective with, uh, in an American context, if you heard about something bad happening in someplace in the American Northeast, for example, or the South, take your pick, you're not going to cancel your trip to the south or the north of the opposite end of the country just because of that, because you think it's ridiculous. It's, it's 1,500 miles away. Mm -hmm. Same thing here. It's same thing here. So I would say do consider it and don't let, please don't let fears keep you from experiencing a hospitable culture and some of the most beautiful terrain on God's green earth. When honestly the fears, a lot of it is, isn't, just isn't that well-founded. Based on my experience, I've been living there with my wife and children now for, what, since 14? Come back to the States for a little bit, but most of that time we've been right there in 
hey, we spent most of 2020 there. Okay. And hey, life, life's good now. So I would say do consider it and don't let your fears get in the way. Do not, don't, do not be afraid to try something different. That would be the other big thing that leaps to mind. Picky eaters. Hey, any parents in the room have not dealt with picky eaters. You'll notice my hand is not going up. So been there, done that, dealt with it on, on my doors, actually. Don't be afraid to stretch yourself and things that you'd normally think, maybe that's one of the big points of and one of the things I love about adventure travel is don't be afraid to get outside of your comfort box. You might be capable of doing and enjoying more than you thought possible. But Tom, that was one of the lessons they beat it, I mean, taught us <laughs> back then, back in the day, right? Is you first look at something and you think there ain't no way I can do this. And then a very large individual motivates you to do it. Yep. Remember those days? Absolutely. Too well. And, and the funny part of it was you find out when you're done, he was right. Or maybe she was right. And I can do this. And it turned out that individual was a much better friend to you than you would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. Both Tom, both Tom and I got a grin on our face. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this sounds familiar. So it is here. Hopefully more gentle. <laughs> but don't do not be afraid to try something out of the box, whether it's a food mm -hmm. or whether it's something like, for example, obviously, I'm passionate about horse trekking. I love it. And I'll, a lot of uh, Americans these days are like, ah, I've never been on a horse in my life. My first two clients were a pair of 76-year-old grandparents from New Jersey and their teenage son or grandson had never been on a horse before in their lives. I don't want them. And I put them on a horse for two days, obviously in chunks, and we broke it up. And I think they had a wonderful time. I think they had a wonderful time. And they got to enjoy it. We get it. If you're not used to it, that's fine. And we take that into account and we plan for that. The question is, are, are you willing to stretch yourself and be more than you thought you were? That's one of the great things about travel is it's, and, and forgive me if the old educator in me kind of goes off here down a rabbit trail, but one of the things about travel is it should, it can be a wonderful educational experience, not necessarily just in the sense of book learning, mm -hmm. although it can do that too, but it can expand not just what you know about other people and other places, but about yourself, that you can do more than you thought. You could be more than you thought you were. And that implies as a family as well. As a family, you can do more than you might've thought. You can be more than you might've thought. And I love the look on people's face when that kind of, when that light comes on, is that that is one of the great rewards yep. of being able to guide in a place like this to be able to see lives changed. I'll just anecdotally say firsthand, we traveled internationally when my kids were very young, like two years and six months, and we were so scarred by that, we didn't travel for <laughs> another 13 years or so. <laughs> and in fact, we went to Spain after my son graduated from high school, and when we did that, it turned out the cheapest airfare to Spain was laying over in Moscow. So not only were we traveling internationally, but we we're traveling internationally, going to Moscow, going through Russian border control, which would turn out to be a tremendous experience. And for, it certainly played to some anxieties we had and we were dealing with. And yet, for the very next year, it was not a matter of, oh gosh, where's that taking us this year, to, oh my gosh, what do we have planned this summer? We're so excited about it. So to see the transformative effect that travel has on, on people is certainly very inspiring. I'll ask two more questions, one of which will be the open mic, give you the floor, and I'll let you 
speak to whatever you want to speak to. But the one question my mother-in-law intended to ask is, we hope it never happens, but across six years, we ha- we have had to see a, a Polish hospital in Warsaw in the middle of the night. So the question is, in the unfortunate event, what can you speak to the state of Kyrgyz healthcare? I understand that there is a new hospital that opened in Bishkek right before we left. That's why you get yeah. Allianz or some type of yeah. warranty to help you. I encourage all of my clients to have to have emergency medical travel insurance Mm -hmm. absolutely okay now that said in years of guiding at least from our end of it from a safety standpoint never had to use anything like that both obviously i've had first aid training Mm -hmm. both courtesy of your tax dollars and at the guide school for example i have made certain that we took on a new guide for the first time back in oh when did we hire him 18 19 i'm trying to remember and i made certain that he's got CPR training, the whole schmear. We bring first aid equipment with us. And again, we do try to be the old joke about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound to cure. Mm -hmm. We thoroughly try to be careful about that. For example, with horses, right? Now there's always a certain risk involved because it's horses. It's like the signs you used to see skiing in Colorado. If you're skiing, you assume risk, blah, 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 blah. That said, we try to be very careful and we try to match horses who that are good horses. They're not likely to freak out when someone gets on their back. We try to match them with riders' abilities, that sort of thing. And so far, thank God, nothing, we've never had to deal with that. But would I recommend that my clients invest in that sort of thing, especially if they have a potential, a potentially life-threatening allergy or condition of, mm-hmm. then yes, yes, of course. Okay. JW, thank you so much for your time today. It's really been interesting, and I know we're excited about exploring opportunities in Kyrgyzstan So I'm going to invite you to uh, share your final thoughts, other things you'd want this audience to know, and maybe sharing your perspective on somebody who organizes tours to Kyrgyzstan. I I think the thing I would try to encourage folks to do the most is, going back to what I said earlier, the rewards for not being afraid are tremendous. The rewards at the personal level, the rewards for the family as a whole can be just tremendous. Now, whether it's from something as simple as you mentioned earlier, Kim, conversations around a campfire or uh, a, yurt's, a yurt's supper table, those are moments that you can't replace and no amount, in this case, a little amount of money will buy you some, but you know what I'm saying? They're invaluable. And so I would ask folks to carefully consider, we only have so much time in our lives. We only have so much money, some more than others, it's true, but why not put them into something that will make a memory and possibly leave you a better person for it? And I really think adventure travel is something that can do all of that. It can bring you closer together, especially with a family. And I love you, y'all's emphasis on multiple generations traveling together. Again, moments you can't find anywhere else. And at the same time, you leave, I, I really think you can and should, and I, I hope most of my clients have, left a better person than when you showed up. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, JW, your website is www.tiganexpeditions.com, and that's spelled T-A-I-G-A-N, expeditions.com. So when we go um, overseas and go on to Kyrgyzstan, what would you recommend to bring home as a souvenir? Who are you buying for? Because well, the answer there is... There, what are you looking for? There's a tremendous variety available just in the handicraft department. 
So what we like to do is bring something back that reminds us of our trip. What's the most important thing and the most valuable thing that Kyrgyzstan has to offer so that when we come back and we have it in our house and we're looking at it, it reminds us of our trip of Kyrgyzstan. Like in Poland, it was our amber and our little dragon teddy bear. If we were going to go to Kyrgyzstan, what would that be? And we always bring like a Christmas ornament of some kind. But we can certainly, you can get all the above. The, believe it, I've, in terms of Christmas ornaments, they have a whole Christmas bazaar <laughs> that is done in Bishkek every year in December. We have one in our home and we've plenty of folks have bought. We know a lady who hand makes felt nativity sets. Oh, wow. That are literal, yeah, that are literal handmade felt toy like dolls of Mary, Joseph, the Christ child, the wise men, shepherd, donkey, sheep, the whole thing. And then it fits into a little felt handmade yurt. So the stable is a yurt for purposes of this nativity set. It's beautiful to see. We also have a number of, and again, we're back to the whole first one's free, kid, except it's not free, but then you don't care. Sherdocks, these handmade super felt rugs. I now know that it's possible for feet to get spoiled. (laughs) because after you walk on some of these rugs, they are warm, they are comfortable. And then after that, other rugs are like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. Nice try. Because especially if you happen to live in a cold environment, these nice, warm, comfy wool rugs are great. Put them beside the bed first thing in the morning. We have several in our place in Bishkek. We brought them home here. Those rugs tend to be a very popular and very practical item. Another example, hanging over the fireplace upstairs here in our house, is what's called an alakis. So let me do my Rod Serling impression here. Picture, if you will, a painting done with colored felt, not sewn, not embroidered, but colored felt pressed into place. And I wish I could describe this for you in, in better terms, but if you could imagine, it looks like a painting until you get up close and then you realize that was it was done by hand using pieces of colored felt, like stained glass dialed up and using felt. It's amazing to see. It really is beautiful. For my wife's uncle, we brought him, he collects knives. And we brought him a handmade knife from Osh. That there's a shop down there in a bazaar. And I think you might be able to get them in Bishkek, but I'd have to check on that. Uh, a handmade knife, it's for display purposes. One of those things is too pretty to cut with, you know what I'm saying? With a handle, hand carved out of ibex horn in the shape of a snarling snow leopard. In Kyrgyz, the snow leopard's called the Ilbirs. And, and to see this handle, the level of details, ah, it's gorgeous, but you hardly want to touch it. And so we got him that one year as a Christmas gift. That's why I ask. And then, of course, there's felt clothing, wool clothing. That's why I tell people, what are you looking for? Because the level of handicraft, they still make things by hand here. And they take pride in it. It's beautiful to see. And that's the one thing we really like to bring back with us is the things that they make there and bring in hand. So it sounds like felt and wool is a big deal over in Kyrgyzstan to make sure you get something back that has felt included. I would recommend it, certainly. And again, if you're, I hate to use the word tenderfoot, if if your feet like comfort, cannot over-recommend getting one of these Sherdocks. The problem is that once your neighbors see them, they're going to like the same idea. And it's like, where do I get more? I have to go vacation in Kyrgyzstan. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Jeff, first, big thank you. This has been a tremendous interview. I know people are really going to enjoy learning about Kyrgyzstan and 
investigate. I was telling my dad and my sister are both horseback riders, and I was telling them about my interview this morning. I sent them a link to Tiger Expedition. So I, I imagine you'll see a few more hits on the website for the word of mouth recommendations we've done. In terms of process going forward, I'm okay with that. in terms of the process going forward, I've got a business there, but the country itself is just so gorgeous. And it's so easy for people to, I get the fear question a lot. I'll put it that way. Please, please mm-hmm. reassure your family that uh, she's not alone in asking that. It's I actually deal with it right on the website because it's very common. And yet, granted, in some places, a little healthy caution goes a long way. Okay. I've been in some of those places. But in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, a lot of the neighboring places, no, not really an issue, at least not in the usual sense. Now, you do got to plan ahead. For example, in, in other parts of, in, in some parts of Central Asia, not necessarily Kyrgyzstan, but gas stations, maybe just few and far between. That's not a, it's not a crime issue. You're not, you don't got to worry about somebody robbing your wallet. You have to plan your trip ahead because it's like those, the old joke about signs in the uh, West in the States, the next gas station, 50 miles, right? That still happens in some parts of the world, but a little advanced planning really makes a lot of this. You can have the excitement and fun of adventure travel, but you can leave the fear behind to a large extent. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And and I hope people will understand that. That's great. Great. There is something to be said, a sweet spot for travel. I'm not saying you can't go younger because well, Lord knows we we did too young, but something, the sweet spot of travel between call it between 10 and, and, and 22 where they're college students. They don't have to get, they're not worried about that job yeah. and t- time off of work. They can appreciate what you're seeing. They'll have memories of it. Yep. And it, in fact, I think one of the things that got us into travel again was just reconnected with photography, right? We're looking, kids mm-hmm. are getting older, kids starting college. So we thought, what, what aren't we going to do when we're... And also downtime for our family because you realize we're in such a crazy world before COVID. We're all over the place and having that vacation a family vacation bring us back to, to family again was a really big deal for me. Yeah. It keeps and us it, all connected I'm, for a different... You want your kids to grow up and be independent, but you also want them to be connected with their siblings and their parents and have relationships with our family. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this travel what, does for us. What she said. Yeah, mm-hmm. seconded. Emotion carried. Again, thank you to our guest, J.W. Stamp of Tygon Expeditions. His website is www.tygonexpeditions.com. That is spelled T-A-I-G-A-N, Expeditions. We look forward to sharing future episodes on the Scottish Highlands, Moscow, and Rome.